0: news episode 178 i am your only host today mike is out of town so it's just me but i do have a very special guest for you all welcome to the show david poposa hi how's it going david
1: it's going great thanks so much for having me uh happy to be here and uh yeah i'm happy to to chat about my new project on kickstarter the oz
0: cool so uh Yeah, we're going to talk about that and all the other amazing things that have been happening to you this past uh, week or so. Uh, I've been following you Mm and you've had quite a week. Yes. Um, But we did want to open the show. Normally, uh, when it's just a guest, we wouldn't get too much into the news. But I thought that this was something that as a community we had to address. So uh, recently, uh, we got the news that um, Black Panther himself, Chadwick Boseman, passed away uh, at the age of 43. Very, very sad. Um, So I just... First wanted to dedicate the show to him, to everything he did for our community, to the African-American community. And just the fact that I had no clue that this man was going through this struggle for the past four years. And he's been putting out some amazing work throughout that time, too. Um, I just think as a comic community, we've lost someone amazing, a great ambassador for our community, um, an amazing actor and just went back recently after i heard the news and watched black panther and goddamn what a movie like it's it's so well done it's so well shot well acted everything and uh it's sad not just that he passed away so young not that just that he uh left behind a a beautiful wife and some what seems like amazing kids but that we will never get to see him uh put on that cowl once again um that's all I had to say. I, I just wanted to address it. Uh, do, anything to add, David? Or
1: yeah, no. I mean, I, I I think you hit it right on the head with the word ambassador. Um, you know, I, I I think Chadwick Boseman. Um, you know, he, like like many people, I also rewatched Black Panther this weekend. Um, and you know, the movie hits you differently when you know what he was going through. Um, the fact that he, you know, was that that he that he took that sort of role as a, as a hero and translated it to real life. You saw, you know, uh, all these images of him visiting kids uh, with cancer while he was fighting it himself. The fact that he was able to go through, you know, kind of the, the rigors of, of the, the the Hollywood process, whether it's Marvel or or somewhere else um, while dealing with cancer, while having chemotherapy, while undergoing surgery. Um, it's you know to call it superhuman is uh is not an understatement and um so yeah you know I, I i feel like you know the world has has really lost um a true talent um you know not not just for his 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 role in the comics community but uh you know the fact that he he did play so many legendary african american figures uh throughout his 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 history as an actor um and so yeah you know i i think him, him passing on Jack Kirby's birthday on the day that uh, that MLB had pushed Jackie Robinson day. Um, you know, it feels like an extra cruel twist of the knife. Um, you know, it feels it feels almost a little like James Dean. Um, you know, you, you can only imagine sort of what the rest of Chadwick Boseman's career would have looked like in in, in the years and decades to come. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just one more cruelty that the year 2020 has inflicted on us. And, uh, you know, I I I I, I feel for his family and, uh, you know, uh, I can't 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 imagine what they're going through.
0: I I literally shed a tear when I read that he was sitting next to his wife and kids when he passed. Like there's not I mean, as a as a person, as a man, that's how. You'd want to go surrounded by loved ones, especially in these times. But those kids were too young, and he was too young, and it was just—it was a very sad thought because uh, I have—I'm a little bit younger than Chad uh, Chadwick. I keep calling him Chad, <laughs> but um, I have kids around his age or stepkids, but still kids. Um, and the thought of them watching me pass away at their age um, is just not acceptable in my eyes uh, is it I it, yeah, it was very sad. Yeah. Uh, one quick personal story that really hit me too. Um, my, not to play my best friend's black card, but my best friend is a uh, part black and part uh, Native American Cherokee. And um, we went to see that movie together just because we've been best friends. since We were little kids and we do everything together. Um, and we took his son who was, he had an eight or nine at the time. I remember we left the movie saying, it was good. It was a good movie. We enjoyed it and this and that. And, you know, it it went with what we expected of a Marvel movie. Um, Can't say we were, like, totally blown away, but we just, we really enjoyed it. Um, But what stuck with me after that movie and what will stick with me um, as kind of the legacy of uh, Chadwick in my personal life is watching my friend's son be so excited to see that character and that you know, someone that he can relate to, you know, see himself on the screen. And uh, I think that we downplay that a lot, but I saw what it can do to a little boy um, sure. on a personal level. And I, I think that'll be his legacy yeah. moving forward. And his family can take a, uh, can, can really take that to heart that, you know, he affected a lot of people in a very positive way and um, did something positive with his life. So absolutely. Hey everybody, Chris here. Just want to take a quick break from the show to remind you all that if you go to fortressofcomicnews.com, there's a banner at the top for Amazon. If you use that Amazon banner, we get a little kickback from it as an advertising fee. So if you do any of your purchases on Amazon, we would really appreciate it if you would use our banner to do all your purchases. That way you can help out the show, help out us, and get all the awesome things you buy on Amazon, including comics, DVDs everything. So remember, go to fortresscomicnews.com and use that Amazon banner on the top. Thank you all so much for listening, and let's move on to the rest of the show. Moving on from that super sad note, David, you're here for a purpose, too. You have a Kickstarter up right now for The Oz. Um, So, what we always do with our guests is we uh, start off with the the origin story um, story. So, how did you get into comics? What was your, you know, your first delve into comics and what made you want to write comics?
1: Yeah, um, great question. Um, I, I'm I'm a third generation comics fan. Uh, my mother was a comics reader. My grandfather was a comics reader. Um, first comic I ever got was uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 346. Um, it was just before Spider-Man. It's the issue before Spider-Man and Venom had their fight on the island. Um, okay. So, you know, that came out, uh, I think I was five mm-hmm. Um, just blew my mind, uh, you know, seeing Spidey and Venom just web-slinging through the city and just just, just beating each other up. It, it, was, it was, you know, that was that was where a lifelong love affair started. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, my parents gave me a handful of comics at that point. They gave me um, an issue of Captain America. He was fighting the Ice Worm with Jack Frost. Um, an issue of Silver Surfer that the Silver Surfer didn't actually appear in. Um, it was Drax the Destroyer versus Adam Warlock in the Soul Gem. Um, and then an issue of the Incredible Hulk, where uh, he he pours toxic waste on the abomination 's face uh, that that i don 't think my parents read before giving to me um, and you know <laughs> I, I carried those books with me everywhere, and then my dad got me a copy of Infinity War Number Two with the the big gatefold cover. you see all the heroes just fighting each other, and it, it just it blew my mind I realized oh they 're all in the same universe they all they know each other um and you know and then i got to meet characters like hawkeye and wolverine and mr fantastic um so yeah you know i i i you know much and you know i'd come in waves um you know so i'd you know i'd fall out of it and then i'd, I'd discover kingdom Come or spawn or crimson or uh dark knight returns or um Uh, or Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, Um, or JLA, or Jeff Johns' Titans, or um, uh, Morrison's uh, New X-Men, or why the last finished listing all those. Uh, But uh, I guess my big break in the industry was um, I I got started as a a DC Comics intern. Um, I worked on uh, uh, Final Crisis, Batman R.I.P., Jeff Johns' Green Lantern. Uh, secret origins. Um and that was a really formative experience for me. I I uh, it really kind of made me realize that you know all the faces behind your favorite work. Uh you know I'm sure a lot of people they know maybe their favorite writer or maybe the more savvy ones know their favorite artist but even then they probably only know like a handful like John Romita Jr. or J.H. Williams or um, Steve McNiven. Um you know but most people don't know, you know, about inkers. They don't think about colors, colorists or uh, letterers. So um, that really kind of w- was an eye opener for me. Um, but for those who had a calendar, uh, you know, that was during when the recession hit, summer of 2008. So there, there were no jobs uh, available, much to my, to my heartbreak. But I met Janelle Aslan, who was, had just joined the Batman office as an assistant editor. And she'd gotten her start writing at Newsarama so she introduced me to her, her former editor Troy Brownfield who uh really uh became my mentor um or, you know over the years um so i, I wrote reviews for Newsarama. Uh, when troy retired from his position as the reviews editor i took over for him um i ran Newsarama's reviews for about a decade um and sort of in the middle of all that i i kind of i felt restless I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. I thought I wanted to be an editor realized being an editor is super hard. It's I, I still do editorial work on my own books, but it's like the least favorite part of the whole process. Um, and so I thought maybe I'd work in development or maybe I'd work as a freelance editor. And so I thought maybe writing my own comics would be a good way to kind of learn how to do that. Uh, which looking back on it, you could just be a writer and skip all that hassle. Um, but yeah, I wrote a bunch of short scripts. Um, I kind of got the reps in. And then eventually, I wrote my first issue of my first book, Spencer and Locke. Um, uh, and I I liked that. So I wrote an outline for that. And I liked that. So I found an artist. And I liked that. And so I pitched it around just for fun. And then suddenly, uh, Action Lab Entertainment asked me how soon I could get the book done. <laughs> and suddenly, I realized, oh, I uh, I think I just accidentally pitched a book. Um, I guess I have to write it, and that's kind of what got the the ball rolling uh, for, for for my career. I've been I, I've been doing it ever since.
0: And you just won a big award for that book as well. Correct? Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was I was really fortunate that um, the, the 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 Ringo Awards were just, nominations were just announced last week and uh my, my two recent books uh spencer and lock two and going to the chapel each were nominated for an award um uh, which is uh just incredible i i, I couldn't believe it i, I was kind of shaking when uh, a, a friend of mine tweeted at me i just woken up uh saying oh you've got this kickstarter and i've got these ringo noms and i just was like what and so i, I uh my hands were shaking while i looked at the nominations and. Um, it's, 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 it's amazing to have one book get nominated uh, to have two is just um, kind of mind blowing. And I think it goes to show that um, the books that I pitch, I always try to find something accessible and sometimes traditional publishers don't get that. Um, I, I've pitched both of my, my breakout books all over town. Um, a top five publisher once said Spencer and Locke was the best pitch they'd never publish, which I, I wear mm-hmm. that as a badge of honor. Going to the chapel, you know, it's, 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 it's a, a, a a heist set at a wedding so it's a it's a crime romantic comedy uh, so many people said they didn't know how to sell a rom-com and so um those nominations really feel vindicating um and it makes me feel like okay like i'm on to something here and and uh maybe maybe going the path less traveled um may, maybe there is an audience for that after all
0: yeah, it, it's always funny when you hear these stories about, like, I mean, something that really hits or becomes big and all the rejections that came yes. before it. Yes. And I understand both as a, a creator and um, just as a person having those, <laughs> like, that moment where you're just like, yeah, you all told me it was, uh, wasn't uh was going to happen, but.
1: <laughs> yeah. no. You- yeah, you know, and 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 it, it's never to rub anybody's face in it, but like, of course, you want to rub somebody's face in it a little bit. Um, but it's it's, yeah, I I think for me, my ethos uh, has always been, uh, I don't want to preach to the choir. I want converts. Um, I love the comics industry, but I think sometimes we can be a little too esoteric for our own good, and and a little too insular, and a little too self referential, and so the the wagons have circled. And um, that makes it hard for new people to get in. And you know, if we want this industry to survive to the next generation, if we want our kids to be reading these things, uh, we have to. It's incumbent upon us to do whatever it takes to bring in new readers. That's why I, I saw somebody um, kind of scoffing at Donny Cates uh, with his Thor tie-in for the game Fortnite, and I said, "Well, Fortnite has 350 million players. Don't you want some of them to?" join the industry um you know that I, I i'll take it i'll take another million readers uh, you know I, I i'm not asking for much uh you know uh less less than one percent of Fortnite's uh, fans if they start becoming co- comics fans off of this that is that is absolutely time well spent
0: i, uh, I had a uh a conversation with my landlord recently because my um uh, my current comic that uh, got kickstarted a while back came in the mail and he was asking me all these giant boxes where I was talking about it. And I was kind of explaining to him cause he's like, is there even an audience for that stuff? And I said, well, if you're like a big time book, you're going to hit a, a million sales. Like when we hit a million sales in this industry, yeah, y- you're like cream of the crop. And then I kind of got depressed cause a, a million sales is not that much. <laughs> I mean, in the grand scheme of things,
1: I still, I still need, I still need, significantly more uh <laughs> fingers and toes to count that high. Uh so uh you know I'll take a million. Uh you know, yeah. here,
0: you, know you know
1: as a treat. Uh <laughs>
0: trust but, me so will I. Yeah. Um but like you said and when uh yeah when I saw some of the scoffs too I have I have that similar thought of like yeah wouldn't we like to have some of those people? I also have the thought of whoever you are Donnie Cates, uh David Papoza, whoever go out there and make that money, man. And I'm sure Donny Cates got paid really well to do something cool for Fortnite. And it's going to not only help his career, it's going to help our industry. And he made, probably made a buttload of money on it. So I don't see why anybody would scoff at that, but here we are.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, 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 uh, yeah. It, you know, it, I, I feel like, I feel like sometimes our priorities can be a little askew and, uh, and uh, sometimes, sometimes look, I mean, who, who'd have thought that the industry that was built on capes and tights and wearing their underwear on the outside might not ha- always have the, the healthiest dose of perspective. Uh, so, you know, it's nice to sort of, you know, I love superhero comics, you know, I, I would love to write superhero comics if anybody asked. Um, but like there's more to this industry and this medium than just capes and tights. And, um, and yeah, I think it's incumbent upon us as creators to try to reach out to new audiences and try to invite more people to the table and to try to build that, that, that bigger consensus. Um, we need to do it, each and every one of us. And, um, and, and if we do that sort of at that grassroots level, it can only help the industry as a whole.
0: Yeah, I can't tell you how many people in my personal life, um, specifically women in this case, but people in general, that I've handed Fable to. That are like, oh, comic books. And then they read it and like, can, wait, where can I get volume two?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it,
0: it's, it's proof to what you say. Just like there's so many great stories out there in, in comics. And to oh, we all love our superheroes. I love my we talk about superheroes every week on the show. And I'm not sure. trashing on superheroes. But oh, I love superheroes. Um, to say that that's all comics is or should be. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is not yes it's
1: selling us it's selling us all uh rather short
0: yeah so uh now we come about and you're doing a kickstarter for a new book uh so why don't you explain to everybody what that book is and uh why they should be interested in that
1: yeah um so the the oz is what if mad max and the hurt locker took place in the wizard of oz Uh, We've recontextualized Dorothy Gale killing the Wicked Witch of the West as something like a botched regime change. And so when she clicks her heels together and goes back home to Kansas, she's inadvertently left Oz in a power vacuum that leads the country spiraling into years of brutal civil war. So our our story picks up a generation later with uh, Dorothy's granddaughter and namesake, who happens to be a disillusioned Iraq war veteran. She's come back home from her time overseas with some real trauma, some real guilt, and some real scars. And she's just trying to put the pieces of her life back together while taking care of her grandma. Uh, Unfortunately, when a tornado strikes, Dorothy finds herself trapped in the war-torn land of Oz. So she's going to have to really confront her own past and her grandmother's legacy, not to mention navigate her grandmother's former friends, if she hopes to survive the occupied zone. Or as the locals call it, the O.Z.,
0: You got that pitch down, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Getting a lot of practice these last few weeks. Uh, I love it. Uh, You know, it's it's uh, this has been a book that's been a long time coming. Um, I've been working on this now. uh, I think we're about to hit the three year anniversary of of me starting work on the OZ. Um, This was one of the first three concepts I came up with after uh, my first book, Spencer and Locke, came out Uh, because it's one of those things like. The first volume of Spencer Locke, everybody really liked it. It was dominated for five Ringo Awards, the first volume. And um, we were we were optioned before our third volume, our third even came out. But that's like that that looks that looks obvious in hindsight. It did not seem so obvious while making it. Um the book was what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? Like, that's not something you do quietly. You know, you can succeed or you fail, but you do it super loud. And so there was a part of me for the first couple of issues that I was like, I don't know, man, like they, 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 I'm waiting for them to turn on us. I'm waiting for them to decide that, oh, they don't like this book anymore. I really thought I might get run out of the industry for that book. Thankfully, I think we walked that tightrope pretty carefully. And so people really did like what we were doing. And so I kind of popped my head up and realized it was safe. And I came up with some more ideas. Uh, The first one being Spencer and Long 2. That was in my back pocket kind of the whole time. The next one being going to the chapel. Uh, I was the best man at my oldest friend's wedding. I did a terrible job at it. So that turned into sort of a a, a heist hostage situation, rom-com from hell uh, set at a wedding. Uh, and then this, the OZ. Uh, and and what had happened was I had, I wanted to try different genres. That's the thing I love most about comics is that you don't have to stay in any one genre. And I had, I had done crime. I had done romance. Um, I said, you know, what's my big swing here? You know, sci-fi and fantasy are considered, you know, really the big power swing genres. And I've since written sci-fi, but like, it's a challenge, you know, I, I uh, you have to come up with these really hard and fast rules for the world. And then your characters have to work within that. And that that's, that's a little challenging for me. Fantasy. On the other hand, there's so much metaphor and characterization that goes into the world. Uh, you know, the, the, the powers bend around the characters. Um, and that's very freeing for me. I think that's a, that's a really cool way to get to dig into somebody's psyche. So I, I said, okay, fantasy sounds like the way to do it. Um, I wrote, so I just opened up a Google doc and I just started writing down almost like a, like a, like a mood board, you know, or a vision board, just things that I liked and seeing if I could draw any inspiration from it. So I wrote down things like Lord of the Rings, and Lloyd Alexander and Piers Anthony and Harry Potter and, uh, and the wizard of Oz. And as my cursor was flashing on the word Oz, I was just like, oh, you know, the word Oz, it's so short, but it's so instantly recognizable. And I thought, you know, what if that was um, an abbreviation for something, uh, an acronym? And I thought of the book DMZ, and I just thought, the occupied zone. And it just kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning. I said, oh, this isn't a fantasy, just a fantasy book, it's a war book. And really, the, the, Ruben rojas's main cover it really you know he channeled eerily what i was thinking for that book uh you know dorothy staring at us with this haunted look as this uh, uh you know war veteran and the tin man standing behind her as this sort of uh almost this steampunk super soldier he's been destroyed and rebuilt with whatever scrap is around him and he's turned into this like this towering war machine and uh, yeah that was an image i had a tough time shaking Uh, You know, I really, I I really fell in love with it quickly. And I think that, that me falling in love with the characters and the concept really kind of helped me see this book through. Um, You know, I think most creators after three years would probably be like, Oh, I'm I'm throwing in the towel. But um, for me, especially when I'm working with a team as, as talented as Ruben Rojas and Whitney Kogar and DC Hopkins, um, that just inspires me to hang on more. Um, I, I, When Ruben drew his first cover uh, with with our initial pitch pages, I told him to keep going in the rest of the the series because I promised him then and there that come hell or high water, I would get this book made. Um, And I think, you know, good things come to those who wait. We've certainly waited for quite a while. And um, seeing how just the overwhelmingly positive support we've gotten for this book, I think it just goes to show uh, it, it feels like a leap of faith rewarded.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a cool concept, and like you said, you were rewarded because not only did you uh, reach your goal, but you have surpassed it um, yes. since we initially talked. <laughs> um, so it, yeah, anyone that wants to go out and check it out, it's already funded. Uh, you're just adding on, so you're guaranteed to get this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question for you, because I've seen this a lot, especially in the indie scene. Sure. Uh, this newfound... Like, love for the wizard of oz and ways to twist that story and bend it and do mm-hmm. different things with it you've seen uh people may not have heard of these books but i i just i live in the indie scene so you've seen the zombiful world of oz um uh, our mutual friend travis is going to be pushing a book called uh, the was It cthulhu in oz mm-hmm. um and a bunch of other ones what is it about the wizard of oz that really drew you in
1: yeah, for me, you know, it, it was the archetypes. Um, and, and you know, it, even as a kid, when you can't really articulate it that way, you know, the Tin Man, Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion, these are all characters with very concrete designs and personalities and desires and character arcs. Uh, they could each be standalone, but you put them all in the same room together and sparks start to fly. And I think that team dynamic, you've seen it, you know, carried on to... Claremont's X-Men to, uh, you know, RPGs like Chrono Trigger and, uh, Final Fantasy seven. Um, it's, you know, how do you get these really strong personality types? You, you, you have to really distill them down and then you throw them in the room together. Um, for me, it was also just, you know, the fact that the source material really supported my thesis, um, you know, similar to Spencer and Locke, you know, where I kind of said, Oh, what if Calvin's, you know, vivid, vivid imagination of hobbes what if that wasn't a charming quirk what if that was a symptom of a of a deeper pathology um this is the same thing with the oz uh you know anybody who's read the l frank Baum novels um who has watched the judy garland film which is pretty much cultural osmosis at this point Mm -hmm. um you know dorothy kills the wicked witch and splits and then you know the wizard leaves and you know you've already knocked down two to three major pillars of the community uh, in like one fell swoop um and then they try to wrap it up with a neat little bow and the thing is you know i, I grew up during the invasion of iraq i know it doesn't work that way um it, you know that's the thing with these despots is that you know not only do they rule through power and fear but it's through this very consolidated control they, they have their tendrils in everything in every part of, of the infrastructure so when you uproot them suddenly all these other things start toppling around with them. And not only that, but you see people who say, oh, hey, there's a power vacuum. Let's all fight for our piece of the pie. It's It wouldn't be a happy ending. It would look like Baghdad. It would look like Game of Thrones. And um, that's always the thing for me when I, you know, this is my second time kind of remixing a, a popular uh, nostalgic property. And for me, you know, it it'd be very easy to be like, oh, you know, Elmo's cooking meth and Oscar the Grouch's trash can. Um, But like, that doesn't like, that's just like edgelord nonsense. Like there's, there's nothing in the text to support that. Um, Whereas I I think if there's, if there's something in the original text that like a lot of people have overlooked, that's kind of the angle I always like to hit at um, because then it feels organic. And then we're able to build real themes and real stakes and real character work uh, uh, to the story. I never want to do a story just for shock value's sake. I think that's kind of the laziest way to do uh, storytelling. It will it it will get you in the, your foot in the door once. It will not sustain a, a long term relationship or investment um, with your readership. And like I've said, I'm always thinking about the long game. Um, and so making sure that we've done our homework and making sure that we're treating our characters with dignity and compassion and empathy and respect. I think ultimately means we're treating our readers the same way.
0: So you, you hinted a little bit at the next thing I was thinking about. Um, it's obviously it's not a coincidence that our main character is going to be an Iraqi bet. Uh, yeah. It seems like you're going to make some parallels there. Yes. Is, is there any kind of, uh, are, are you kind of working through some of the stuff that you and myself uh, growing up through the invasion of Iraq uh, had to go through as a culture in the story as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to some extent for sure, I, and I think you know, I think the story hits differently in in the current administration as well. I think we're a country that's really in moral conflict with itself. Um, you know, I, I, I think we're all kind of struggling. What's the right move on a day to day basis? And that's something that Dorothy's really grappling with through the, through this whole book is, um, we say it in our preview, you know, they they, they spent so much time preparing us for war, they never told us how hard it would be to keep the peace. And I think Dorothy has realized that those two different skill sets, they're not always on the same page. Sometimes they're not even in the same book. And, um, you know, it was was hard enough for her to see what she saw in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, Now she's sort of reliving it, 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 you know, being trapped in Oz. uh, She really does feel like this is a battlefield she never really left um in certain ways it's kind of triggering for her you know it's it's really dredging up some of her worst memories on the other hand i think she sees it as a little bit of a second chance it's it's sort of that opportunity to get things right and dorothy will be constantly kind of mulling over what's that morality what's how do you make a just decision in wartime when every choice you make can wind up with someone dead this was this was one thing when she was just boots on the ground and she, she was a soldier, but she wasn't in charge. But by virtue of who her grandmother was, everyone's looking at Dorothy for answers. Everyone's looking at her to be more than just a soldier, but a leader and a symbol. And you know that's, that's an uncomfortable burden for anyone, um, particularly someone who's survived what Dorothy has survived. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of the story for me, and I think this is part of why I tend to explore trauma in all of my work, uh, whether it's something as, as bleak as Spencer and Locke or something lighter on its feet like uh, going to the chapel. Um, you know, my, my first job out of college, uh, while I was moonlighting at, at Newsarama, uh, I was a newspaper reporter. Um, I, I covered uh, uh, crime and state politics uh, uh, in Western Massachusetts uh, for for the Berkshire Eagle in Pittsfield. And for those who are not as familiar with Western Massachusetts, um, you know, they did not get much of the tax dollars. They did not get much of the spotlight or the infrastructure. Um, you know, this was a GE town and then GE closed the plant. And uh, decades later, people are still saying, well, when GE comes back. Um, so some of the what I what I used to call the mini beats um, you know, that I would cover, I cover the local mental health beat and the local military beat. And so, um, I wound up interviewing a lot of veterans, um, who were sort of talking about their, their, their struggles to reintegrate upon coming home, particularly in an already economically depressed area. And, uh, their stories really stuck with me. Um, you know, the fact that people, the the thing that really stood out to me was not just the, the hypervigilance or the sort of these intrusive thoughts that would kind of come without warning where they would be taken back to a traumatic moment in their lives. But it was this sense of isolation and alienation because they had such a difficult time just articulating it. Um, because, you know, if you haven't been over there, there's no way you can fully understand it. Um, so, I, you know, for me, kind of taking those stories, um, I, I think that, that always kind of pushed me towards exploring trauma as, as, a, as a potentially cathartic Narrative device, but I was also fortunate that I was able to talk with people who had served, um, uh, you know, in, in the development of this story. Uh, you know, one of my one of my college friends served as a, as a combat medic in, in Afghanistan. Uh, I talked with him a lot. You know, some of it was just kind of minor, like you know, am I using this lingo right? But some of it was also kind of the big picture, uh, the, the 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 overall structure of this book. I remember asking in particular, you know, like we've been here almost twenty years, and like. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's so difficult to extricate ourselves from this? And I think those conversations really influence the book in a major way, sort of this question of is there a way to um, free yourself from this cycle of violence? Um and, you know, or or you know, is 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 you know, once a war starts, how do you how do you stop it? Um and that's something that Dorothy's really gonna be thinking a lot about, is just thinking. Is there another way? Is there a better way to do this than than what we've been doing so far?
0: That's awesome. So uh, let's jump into the nuts and bolts of this. Uh, yeah. It, do you see this as uh, like a four issue series, an ongoing thing, or?
1: So i I've written I've written our first arc for for the series. I had initially written it as six standard sized issues. But uh, part of the thing that emboldened me to go into Kickstarter was realizing that the series broke on a three-act structure really nicely, so we could package this as as 44-page uh, issues. So uh, you know, right now we're, we're projected to do three Kickstarter campaigns uh, uh, for this. Um, you know, one for each issue, and then we'll sort of kind of gauge the the temperature of the room as far as uh, you know any future uh, Kickstarters are concerned. Um, you know. I, this was a challenging story and it's the longest book I've ever written. Um, it's uh, you know, in fantasy, there's a lot that you got to kind of juggle, but um, if the demand is there and Ruben and Whitney and I's bandwidth is there, because I, I, I want to make it clear. I would never do another story with the OZ without, D, without Ruben Rojas and D, and uh, Whitney Kogar just wouldn't happen. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I always write with an idea in my back pocket. Um I, I, I certainly know where this series could go uh, uh, after our first arc um, because that's kind of the theme of the OZ in so many ways is that just because the war is over doesn't mean there isn't another battle right around the corner.
0: And uh, upon the completion of this Kickstarter, um, has this already been accepted at a publisher or are you going to be pushing for... a uh... Submit you know, it to places.
1: I don't know. I mean, you know, that, that you know, part of the reason that we went on Kickstarter in the first place was um, the traditional publishing pipeline can be chaotic in the best of times. And, um, you know, even before COVID, uh, there were plenty of publishers who'd expressed a lot of interest in this book. And, you know, people get distracted. There are crises that break. Other people have books that are submitted. And this number one publisher, you know, we started talking. And they seemed real into it. I was really excited. And they're like, give us a little bit of time. We're going to get right back to you. And I was like, sounds good. And then we would like start the conversation exactly from the beginning. Uh, it was like Groundhog Day. We did that a few times. Um, and the thing is, is, now that we're in a pandemic, the acquisitions pipeline is way more challenging than it, than it used to be. People are staggering their timelines. Uh, people are narrowing what they will take. Uh, you know, the idea of having to wait till 2022 for this book to come out felt unacceptable to me since we already had six issues written and two issues drawn um i was kind of like why do we have to wait for permission and as somebody who had been looking at kickstarter for a long time because i i realized you know that's a whole separate demographic than the people hitting their comic shops every week or are going on amazon or hitting the convention scene i realized oh that's a whole population of readers that i've done zero outreach to and when COVID shut down Diamond, I realized, oh, I could solve one problem with the other. I could bring this book. I could, I could give this book a, 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 the the home it deserves. And we could introduce ourselves to the Kickstarter community with our absolute A game. And um, yeah, I I, I I definitely, you know, this is not going to be the last time I'm on Kickstarter. Um, after this series, like I the Kickstarter community has been so incredible to us that um I I, I certainly see myself uh coming back um uh you know as, as as long as the platform is sustainable.
0: Yeah. It's you're a little bit more successful than I was, but it's an amazing experience. It's a ton of work, but yes. it's just so rewarding. I just shipped out my rewards this morning, actually.
1: Congratulations. And,
0: um that feeling, uh, there's there's nothing else. I haven't been published by a big publisher or even a small publisher, but I can say that, that just handing that to my post office was uh, one of the best feelings of my life. So yeah, it's it's a ton of work, but it's so worth it. It really is.
1: Yeah, it's it exactly. Um, you know, and for me as a creator, I thought I knew how to make a comic. You know, I I thought I knew how to write. Um, you know, I, I I tend to get some practice in um i thought i knew about the project management side because i as an indie guy you kind of have to be your own editor um i've known how to do publicity you know just because working at an indie publisher like there's they're never gonna have the bandwidth to promote your book the way that you would um but i didn't know how to do my own printing i didn't know anything about production work um i didn't know anything about shipping and fulfillment now i do and i feel like that's made me a much uh, uh, uh it's really kind of the missing piece of the puzzle now if I feel strongly about a book and a concept and a team, I don't have to wait for a publisher to say yes. I can, we can go directly to the readers on Kickstarter, and uh, and 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 let them decide if it, if if it's worth supporting. And uh, for me, you know, I always kind of beat myself up. I always feel like I'm never producing enough, fast enough. And an interview I did at the beginning of this campaign kind of put it into relief for me. Saying that you know you need to be creatively patient with yourself, and at the end of the day, I would hope that my readers would rather it take longer to get a good book than for me to just kind of push out Drek uh, on, on a on a quick basis and um so yeah, you know i I feel like as I continue to do this and as I continue to practice, I will get faster at this, but in the meantime um I would rather take my time and get it right, and uh, I feel like Kickstarter, as as a platform, is very helpful in that regard because you're not chained to the month-to-month schedule. You a little bit more and um, and that readers will still be okay with that, and um, that's really that's something that thinks is is pretty helpful.
0: Yeah, in that in that community, um being a part of both sides is very understanding of the yeah i paid for this book it might take a few months it's you know like i'm not going to get it immediately it's not i bought three jokers and i can go home and read it tonight it's right um i contributed to something and it's going to take time to get to it so i that community has been groomed over years and years of doing this process of really understanding what it is which is really nice um and to something you said earlier it's something that once again our mutual friend travis said to me that stuck with me and it's comics are hard to make and you don't realize it until you've done it yes and for any publisher <laughs> and you said uh, it would, this comes from the comment of uh th- that publishing in its best times is chaotic for any publisher to do a month-to-month book is just insane like it's insane that they can pull it off yeah and i'm no longer the guy who will be like oh why is this book delayed a month like yeah it should take them four months to make that book (laughs) so yeah that community is just so great yeah um so where could people go to find the oz and support it even further
1: yeah um so you can um you can follow uh, uh, The OZ Comic on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, to follow the book. Uh, if you go to bit.ly slash The OZ Comic, it'll take you straight to our Kickstarter page. Uh, you can also um, you can find me at PeposD, it's my last name, first initial, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can also uh, go to uh, David Pepos Comics on Facebook. Finally, I have a newsletter called Pep Talks. I send out an email uh, usually every three weeks just to let my family know I'm still alive. Uh, but that's at bit.ly slash pep news, uh, And that way you get kind of behind the scenes looks at everything I'm working on. Uh, I've been teasing the OZ on that newsletter for the better part of the year. Um, so, yeah, if you want to kind of be the first one to peek behind the curtain and see what I'm working on next, that's the that's the place to do it
0: yeah and as always everybody uh if you go into our show notes down below i'll have links to both uh david's website and the kickstarter campaign so you can just click on those and go straight to it uh definitely check the book out it looks awesome and as you all just heard the story concept is fantastic so david thanks so much for being on the show Uh, i really appreciate it um real quick everybody uh you know the drill by now. Uh, if you're listening to us to give us a five-star review, whatever podcast you're using, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, like the video, comment down below, subscribe to the channel. I want to hear more from you. Um, and if you want to follow me further, you can always go to Twitter at Fortress Chris or my personal website, uh, Runt.com. That is C-H-R-I-S-R-U-N-D-T dot com. Uh, or fortresscomicnews.com, where everything we do here at Fortress Comic News is right there on the handy-dandy website. So thank you all so much for listening, and I will see you all next week.